Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From the pages of The New Yorker, this is the Weekly Comment Podcast. In Democrats in the House, Margaret Talbot writes about the House Democrats' best path forward. One of the worst side effects of Trumpism is the way that it drives its opponents into reactive mode amid an atmosphere of cooked-up chaos. Donald Trump wants to build a great, great wall, and last week he considered declaring a national emergency to do it. Despite the fact that illegal border crossings have drastically decreased since 2000, and that many of those trying to cross these days are women and children who are not evading border guards, but seeking them out to ask for asylum. At the outset of 2019, we're in the second week of a partial government shutdown, which Trump said could last for months or years because congressional Democrats have had to take his fixation seriously and insist that they won't allocate the $5 billion that he wants for the wall. The actual costs of a concrete barrier could climb as high as $40 billion, according to an analysis in MIT Technology Review, and a report from the Government Accountability Office warns that the wall could cost more than projected, take longer than planned, or not fully perform as expected. Democrats are offering two compromises that would reopen government agencies and give the Department of Homeland Security $1.3 billion to improve border security technology and other measures, including fortified fencing. Meanwhile, some sense of the psychological vagaries that Democrats have to contend with can be derived from the increasingly peculiar way that Trump talks about the wall as though it were not a policy, but a totem for the protection of his own ego, perhaps. The wheel, the wall. Some things never get old, he said last week at a rambling cabinet meeting. Still, whatever compromises eventually reached to reopen the government, the best path forward for the Democrats as they take over the House of Representatives, the most effective way to counter the administration's frantic, unmoored agenda setting, while also motivating voters for 2020, will be to pursue ambitious ideas. These could include the once-utopian-sounding Medicare for All, a Green New Deal to combat climate change while creating jobs, a national $15 minimum wage, and a Voting Rights Advancement Act to revive some of the protections that the Supreme Court eradicated in 2013 in Shelby County v. Holder. Such proposals are backed by the party's fired-up progressives, but not all Democrats in the House support them and they are highly unlikely to pass the Republican-controlled Senate, let alone be signed into law by Trump. Yet they strike many people as fair and humane, if politically complicated. In a recent Reuters-Ipsos poll, 70% of respondents were in favor of Medicare for All. Support has also grown among doctors who were once vocal critics of any single-payer system. It's true that support tends to drop when pollsters tell people that they may have to pay more taxes, or that the government may exert too much control. But opponents can also be swayed when told that the plan would reduce the role of private insurers or guarantee that all Americans have health insurance as a basic right. Even if such proposals can't make it out of Congress this term, they can help form a blueprint for a future in which the Democrats control the White House or the Senate. And by bringing them up now, Democrats create the occasion to hammer out what a Green New Deal might actually look like, or how a national minimum wage might affect the working poor, 
while forcing Republicans to explain why they reject these approaches. Pete Buttigieg, the Democratic mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and a potential presidential candidate, told The Times that it was important for Democrats to air big ideas, such as whether guaranteed income is now right, in part because only sweeping proposals to improve people's lives can compete with the starkness and the simplicity of walls and bands and MAGA. In a sign that the Democratic leadership is listening, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, announced last week that she would support holding hearings on Medicare for All. The 116th Congress is unusual in many ways. It has the largest freshman class in 50 years, the most women ever, 127, the first Muslim and Native American women, and the first Latinas elected from Texas. It skews younger. Eleven freshmen are under the age of 35, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, at 29, is the youngest woman ever elected to Congress. And more progressive, the Congressional Progressive Caucus has grown from 78 members to 96. Its brightest lights are more likely to break protocol by joining a sit-in at Pelosi's office or by dishing about the arcane workings of the Capitol on Instagram than their predecessors were. The freshman class is hipper overall and more unpredictable. It's one of the most highly educated group of incoming House members in modern history, according to the Brookings Institution, and also the least politically experienced. Only 41% have held prior office. This may mean that they will be refreshingly unwilling to get hung up on precedent, but it could also make them a fractious bunch. There are already tensions between the progressives with activist backgrounds and the moderates who painstakingly peeled away districts that went for Trump in 2016, between senior members who want the newbies to wait their turn and the newbies who aren't looking for their permission. The Los Angeles Times reported that several freshmen have asked for, some have demanded, prime slots on powerful legislative committees. Representative Jackie Spire said of her new colleagues, they are going to shake this place up, and that's kind of a good thing. Some mutual befuddlement will be unavoidable. When Representative Rashida Tlaib, shortly after being sworn in, told a group of activists, we're going to impeach the motherfucker, Pelosi allowed that generationally that would not be the language I would use. If all this sounds daunting, here's a hopeful point to keep in mind about that record number of women, 106 of whom are Democrats. Research shows that women in Congress are more effective than their male counterparts at securing spending for their districts, which perhaps bodes well for the bipartisan project of infrastructure investment. They also sponsor and co-sponsor more legislation. Inevitably, the House Democrats will be preoccupied with investigating Trump and with the traps that he keeps setting for them. Their challenge will be to work with the Senate to pass what positive legislation they can, while reminding Americans of how much more might be accomplished once the Trump era is over. That was Democrats in the House by Margaret Talbot from The New Yorker magazine, January 14th, 2018. Narrated by Jamie Rennell. Also in the magazine this week, Malcolm Gladwell on marijuana, Mary Norris on learning Greek, Jake Halpern on France's most daring art thief, Elizabeth Zorowski on the rise of Viktor Orban, Jerome Groupman on the history of blood, 
James Wood on Guy Gunarate's debut novel, Anthony Lane on the Aspern Papers and The Nun, fiction by Amos Oz, and more. Audible.com produces a weekly audio edition of The New Yorker. To subscribe or to download individual issues, we invite you to go to www.audible.com and enter New Yorker in the search box. To subscribe to the comment podcast, go to www.newyorker.com or to the New Yorker room on the iTunes store.